Welcome to Let's Talk Sales. This is the podcast for anyone who's interested in growing sales. Today's episode of Let's Talk Sales is brought to you by our ebook, Being a Grateful Leader. In it, you'll discover the personal, professional, and even medical benefits of gratitude and how you can practice gratitude as a leader. Be sure to download a copy today. You can find it in the notes for today's show at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod 288. This is Elizabeth Frederick, and our guest today is so incredibly impressive that she actually makes me feel a little bit lazy and unproductive. (laughs) She is the founder and CEO of Arenda Connections, which helps companies discover their purpose and weaves that purpose into the fabric of their corporate culture. She is also the executive director of the Innovators Alliance, which is a not-for-profit peer-to-peer mentoring group, and it helps CEOs future-proof their company. So she's really thinking about kind of what's coming next. She is an environmental, social, and governance specialist, and she's a speaker, entrepreneur, author, and innovator who's built multiple successful companies. Somehow, she also finds the time to be a faculty advisor and professor at the Graduate Business School at the University of Toronto, and she serves on the board of directors of USANA Health Sciences, which is a company on the New York Stock Exchange. So I hope I'm not the only one who feels, you know, completely unaccomplished after hearing that. She is the author of an excellent book called Corporate Karma, How Business Can Move Forward by Giving Back. And she is based in lovely Toronto, Ontario. We are so glad to have you here. Welcome to the show, Peggy Pelosi. Oh, thank you so much for that very nice introduction, Elizabeth. Uh, You made me feel very special, I can tell you. Um, I'm really happy to be here. I am just so excited about this. Uh, We met you through the Innovators Alliance. And so it was really interesting as I started to prepare for this conversation to just look at all the other interesting and impressive things you've done and are still doing. So I'd love it if you could introduce yourself a bit to our listeners. Maybe talk about um, the journey that you've been on to get to where you are today. um, and, And then we'll start to get into your passions and what it is that you're doing right now, which is really exciting. And I think our listeners are going to really appreciate Okay, I'm happy to do that. And uh, the journey is a long one, I have to tell you. But um, I guess really this this passion for social purpose and the importance of social purpose in business, which has, I mean, the the interest in it and the need for it has escalated exponentially over the last two or three decades. But, mm-hmm. you know, I know for me, one of the first moments that I was aware of it, I was back when I was when I was a teenager. 16 mm-hmm. years old, I was invited to participate in a promotional launch that Coca-Cola mm-hmm. was doing. I was invited as a mm. um, server at, at this event at the Royal York Hotel in Toronto, which is this gorgeous, gorgeous event space. And um, they were launching a new um, advertising campaign. Mm-hmm. And as I, as I, I was walking in and handing around the, the Cokes to the people that were in the audience... Uh, this a video came on. The room went dark. The video came on, and it was one by one. These this group of people from very different backgrounds. You could tell they were from different cultures, different countries, very diverse. All walking onto a hill, a hillside mm-hmm. in the middle of nature, and they were singing a song. And the song was, "I'd like to teach the world to sing in perfect." Mm. This was in the early 70s. It was the time of peace and love. I'm dating myself now. 
But (laughs) something happened to me and I went, this is so cool that a company is talking about peace and love and goodness and kindness and and something stuck. Um, mm-hmm. Then let's fast forward maybe another decade or two. As I, I think it was in the early '90s. I was, um, you know, as we, I was raising kids. I had children at home. I was out doing some shopping. I noticed this new store called the Body Shop, and it was early days of the Body Shop in Canada, mm-hmm. North America. That had been started by a woman by the name of Anita Roddick. And Anita was an environmentalist, and she had a passion for animals. She was an animal advocate. And mm-hmm. I saw signs in that store that said there that every product that they manufactured was done with no animal testing. And mm-hmm. as a, an animal advocate myself, mm-hmm. then I went, wow. Another, here's an, ex, an example of a business that is standing for something beyond making money that has a yeah. cause associated with it, this social issue that's been embraced. And that was um, another defining moment for me. But then fast forward from then, I was 28 years old. I had just started my first business, which was an educational toy company. And at the time, ah. I had five children under the age of six. So I was five little <laughs> kids. So being in the toy business was very wise, a very yes. thing to do. And the toys were sold through a network of direct sale. They were, it was a direct selling model. Sales mm-hmm. across the country who would go into homes and do a demonstration for parents talking about what products were appropriate for children at various ages of their development. And it was also the early days. Toronto is known for, you know, sports and the Toronto Maple Leafs and the hockey team. But it was early days of the Toronto Blue Jays or the ah. football team. Mm-hmm. And I quickly got, or shortly into this, got a call from the uh, Toronto Blue Jays Foundation, which was run fundamentally by the, wi- the wives of the players. Mm-hmm. And they said, this is really cool what you're doing with educational toys. Would you come down to the stadium for one of the games and set up booths and bring your toys? And we'd like to do some fundraising for childcare centers in the underserved communities of Toronto. Mm. So I did that, and it was announced throughout the game, and the broadcasters were announcing that the people could go out and see these educational toys, and that the proceeds would be going to to serve children in Toronto. And uh, you know, I think we raised twenty five thousand dollars that day, which was for for me was beyond the beyond. Absolutely, and I was hooked. It became very clear to me that any business I would be involved in in my future going forward would have a it would have a social purpose attached to it that I knew that business needed to be about more than profit. Absolutely. So that leads into what we're going to spend our time talking about today and what you're all about as a leader, which is the power of purpose. And I'd love for you to just explain to our listeners a little bit. You've told that story, and I think it's come through a bit, but but maybe in a more explicit way. Why is it so important for companies to have a social purpose? What is it about that purpose that is actually important maybe to customers or to employees? Or, or how does that purpose actually benefit the company? Yeah, and that's a great question because this is something that's been evolving over the last t- you know, two to three decades Um, Mm -hmm. There is increasing pressure on companies from all stakeholder groups, primarily employees, their customers, and now even the investor community 
is mm. business needs to stand for something more than just making a profit. And, um, you know, there it's, it's referred to in many different ways. There's the, tri- the triple bottom line, it's people, planet and profit and business needs to be taking that into, into uh, account when it's making its decisions about how, how it runs its business. But there's more to that journey for me, which I would tell you about now, um, that really helped me identify the value of purpose and why this is important. Mm-hmm. Well, if I could fast forward now to the year 2000, um, I was hired as the vice president of sales for a company called USANA Health Sciences. It's in the health and nutrition business. Um, when I was hired in 2000, the sales had been flat for a number of years. The stock was mm-hmm. a publicly traded company. The stock was trading at $1.70. And I was really hired to help turn that around. So, you know, in my very first management meeting, I sat around the board table with the management team and said, you know, what do we do? How do, how do we give back to the community? What do we do? What's our, what's our sort of purpose beyond the bottom line? And I got a bunch of blank stares. And they said, well, <laughs> we write checks to charity. Is that what you're talking about? And I said, well, sure. well, tell me more about that. And nobody could remember what it was. I mean, every year that the annual sales conference, they'd get up with the big cardboard check and, and hand it and wipe their brow and say, phew, good corporate citizen. Um, mm-hmm. But it didn't mean anything to any of mm-hmm. the members of the management team around the table. So at the end of that meeting, I went to the CEO whose name is Dr. Myron Wentz, and I asked him, or I just asked him a question. I said, if we're going to write checks to charity, would it not make sense? We're in the nutritional business. There's mm. a huge need around the world for nourishment. Wouldn't mm-hmm. it make sense to find some something or some uh, organization or cause that's relevant to our business purpose? And he looked at me and he said, that's a really good idea. Why don't you go and do that? And that, <laughs> that's my journey began. I knew nothing about the nonprofit world. I, uh, it was all new to me, but just began exploring it and, and beginning to understand it and found an organization called the Children's Hunger Fund, uh, who had, a, just by its name alone, sounded like it made sense for us. They made mm-hmm. sustainable solutions to hunger in both the developing world and the underserved communities of the U.S. Um, And so as I was in discussions with them, I had a phone call from them one day saying that they had people on the ground in El Salvador. Uh, There had been a landslide. Two of the villages that they were working in had been wiped out and that they Mm -hmm. were going to go down and assess the need and wondered if I would be interested in coming with them so I could see them uh, at work. And I knew Mm -hmm. it would be a great experience and a wonderful learning experience for me. But my sixth sense told me that what I really needed was for the CEO of the company, Dr. Myron Wentz, to go on that trip. So yes. I went up and I knocked on his door and I said, Dr. Wentz, um, I need you to come with me to El Salvador. He looked at me sort of like I'd lost my mind. He said, no, I have no interest in going to El Salvador. You go and you go back and tell me all about it. But don't forget, I was the salesperson and he was the scientist. Yep. <laughs> And I believe that, well, as we all do in sales, he who believes persuades. So I kept, was relentless, just kept knocking at the door. And finally, he reluctantly said, okay, I will come with you. And that was a defining moment in the life of USANA Health Sciences. Um, mm-hmm. After we had that experience, he looked at me on the way home and he just said, just bring this to life. Make this part of who we are. Make it part of our DNA. And so I did. And three years later, the sales of the company had more than doubled. 
They'd gone from 120 to 270 million. The share value had increased from $1.70 to $70. Wow. People looked at me and said, "What had asked me what had happened? We had the same product, same people, same market, same marketing. Nothing had changed externally. It was only when you looked through the internal lens, what we saw was there had been a dramatic shift in corporate culture, and we mm-hmm. had become a very uh, inspiring and caring company. And uh, what I, what had happened is we started attracting great talent, retaining mm-hmm. that talent, productivity went up, customer satisfaction and loyalty went up. And, it, and it, it turned out it was good for business. And that whole shift in co- corporate culture was a, you know, it was a, a, the result of a convergence of many initiatives and change that went on inside the business, mm-hmm. the catalyst of which had been this program with the Children's Hunger Fund. We did become a very caring company. And that sense started at the top of the CEO and cascaded through everything we did, all of our uh, uh, operations in the business. Um, and what, what I realized in hindsight, what I call it is that we extended our mission beyond the balance sheet of the company and created mm-hmm. an emotional profit center. And that's what helped drive that business growth as a result of just becoming that caring company and having a social purpose. Um, Absolutely. That's that's such a powerful story. Um, and what I'm curious about, and I'd imagine a lot of our listeners are probably curious about, is how did this actually impact you in your role as a sales leader? Because certainly um, we've seen organizations that maybe have somebody in a philanthropic role or in uh, a social purpose role, and they're doing that full time, but you were also running sales. (laughs) So how did you kind of balance those two and how did this work impact what you were doing as that sales leader? Elizabeth, I think that was, you know, that's a really great question because that was a unique position for me to be in, to be one Mm -hmm. developing the social purpose program at the same time that I was responsible for educating, motivating, and celebrating a sales force. So as I would travel the world to do my job, which was to do exactly that, educate, motivate, and celebrate. Um, At every conference, at every training session, at every event that we held, I would make sure there was real estate on the agenda to talk about the Children's Hunger Fund and the work that we were doing. And I would do it through visuals. I would have, first of all, every office around the world that we had, we had big posters of the kids. I would bring videos and stories from the children and families and health practitioners that were working in the villages and communities that we were supporting. I would bring those stories and show the videos and let the, in our entire sales force know that they we're also able to participate in this through, you know, we would we were funding, we were we were pro- providing all of these healthcare workers with our, new, our cellular nutritional supplements, so that they and they were telling us the stories of boosting the immune immune systems of the children and families in the villages that we were working in, and thanking the employees of USANA Health Sciences for their contributions. And so we had really engaged our people. 
um, that they knew that they could participate. They could also participate by rolling up their sleeves and going out into their own communities and, and, and doing volunteer work with the Children's Hunger Fund. And that's the part of what created that emotional profit center for the company. It really engaged their hearts and minds. Um, and they passed on that sense of purpose to their customer. And again, thus, it was very good for business. Absolutely. Um, I think we can all probably look back at times when we felt like our company was doing good in the world um, and just how satisfying that is and how fulfilling it is. And even, um, you know, I've I've had opportunities to volunteer at projects like Habitat for Humanity. And when you do something like that together with your coworkers, you, you understand them better and you get connected better. And that's just a one-time instance as opposed to this entire kind of umbrella over everything that they do, really feeling that, that what they do is making an impact in the world and they're actually contributing to that mis- mission and the value that you're providing. Absolutely. It makes them, it, it increases trust and loyalty. It mm-hmm. increases a sense of pride of, of where they're working and who they're working for and the purpose of that company. Um, so it really does make a difference. I, and I feel, especially when it comes to sales, one thing that, that I just firmly believe, and I've seen this in so many different industries and in so many different organizations, is if you're a really good salesperson, you need to be passionate about what it is that you do. Um, what it is that your company does, what it is that you're selling. And it doesn't really matter what that thing is. I mean, maybe if it's like cigarettes or something, that would be a little difficult. But um, you could be selling, you know, widgets. And if you understand that those widgets are incredibly helpful at making, um, you know, manufacturing work better, and you're making the jobs easier for all of the people who work on those manufacturing lines, and you're making sure that the products that they make are safer for all the people who eventually use them, that's a really good feeling. If you just feel like I make widgets, and they just kind of get sold somewhere and blah, 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 it's really hard to get up in the morning and feel excited to do your job. And so just having that sense of how you help people, whether it's through, um, you know, a, a distinct kind of charitable nature, um, or whether it's even just understanding the social and, and valuable impact of, you know, the products or services that it is that you sell, it's so incredibly important. And you'll often see that if salespeople lose confidence in those offerings, they leave the organization and go somewhere where they can sell something they're proud of. Absolutely. Now, this is actually reminding me a lot, and I wasn't planning on talking about this, but as we were talking, I remembered uh, what a big fuss this caused a year ago, which is when the Business Roundtable came out with their annual letter. And that's got that big group of, um, of almost 200 top executives. And instead of saying, like, like they typically had, that the purpose of a corporation, as it had been understood for decades, is all about advancing the interests of its shareholders. And that has resulted in some really negative corporate behaviors um, that might be good for shareholders, but really aren't good for anybody else. And they've said that um, the the role of business and society is not just the interest of those shareholders, but also their employees and the environment and being fair and ethical with their suppliers and the community around them. And that was a huge shift. So this has been kind of a wake-up call that's happening um, in a lot of different places over the last few years. Oh, it absolutely is. And it 
you know, the, the business roundtable was a great voice for this and has helped move it forward. Um, Larry Fink, who's the CEO of BlackRock, which is the largest fund company mm-hmm. and, and institutional investor, um, has for the last two years sent out letters to the CEOs of every company that they invest in to say that if that company does not have a sense of purpose beyond the bottom line, that they will not be investing any longer. And it's really moved, it's really helped move the needle from a, you know, a century of shareholder capitalism, where the, mm-hmm. you know, the most important stakeholder was the shareholder, to now it's stakeholder capitalism, where everybody has to be taken into account when decisions are being made about how the business is going to behave. I love that. It's such a simple, you know, it sounds small, from shareholders to stakeholders, but shareholders is a a very small group of people. And when you think about stakeholders, um, you know, again, it's the employees, it's the the customers, it's the the community around the business, it's everybody who might possibly be impacted. And that's such a such a powerful way to think about things because there, there's a lot you can get away with if all you're thinking about is the shareholders. But when you start looking at that broader universe of stakeholders, you're gonna make very different decisions. Right. Yeah, it's changed yeah. for sure. And it's, I mean, that's it. So for me and the work that I've been doing and watching that shift has been really rewarding. Um, you know, in the early days for me, when I started talking to, to business owners about doing this kind of work, they, you know, <laughs> I'd get the pat on the back and go, oh dear, that's a very nice thing you're doing. That's so warm and fuzzy. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Now it's a of entry. It's just table stakes. Businesses have to figure this out. And I feel like that probably leads into um, what it is that you're doing now, because obviously you founded Arenda um, Connections, which is all about kind of helping companies discover this purpose and, and integrate it into their businesses. Can you talk a little bit about the story of why you decided to start the company yeah. and some of the experiences that you've had as you've grown that business? Yeah. And, you know, what, doing that work at USANA, and again, I, you know, I just grew into it. I didn't know what I didn't know. I didn't know what mm-hmm. I was creating, what was being created. I was just sort of following my instinct doing it. Mm-hmm. But it was in 2004, I was going to visit um, a project that USANA was funding in Uganda. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was in a small fishing village just outside Kampala, which is the capital of Uganda. And we were building a, an orphanage and a medical center there. And mm. with a group, some of the management team, some of the directors, board of directors, a couple of employees. And on that trip, I also invited my five children, who by that time were no longer preschoolers. <laughs> they were <laughs> university or graduated from university. And it was on that trip that I stepped back, the penny dropped for me, and I realized that there was a huge opportunity to help businesses figure this out. I knew every business was giving back somehow. There, I mean, corporate philanthropy had always existed. They were writing checks to charities. But I also knew that very few of them had looked at it through a strategic lens and looked at a way that they could find something that was relevant to their business that they could weave into the fabric of their brand and their, their um, corporate culture um, and bring it to life and make it part of who the, who they were. So it was on that trip that I decided I needed to put on my entrepreneurial cap again and move back to Toronto <laughs> from the U.S. and um, start helping businesses figure that out. So that was 15 years ago, um, and I haven't looked back. 
That is so exciting to hear because as soon as you said that, um, it, it makes total sense because I could see how if you run a company that does nutrition, it's relatively easy leap to yeah. say, um, let's help yeah. with nutrition somehow, right? Like, and people listening might be like, well, yeah, but my company doesn't do nutrition. No, no. <laughs> um, you know, it's we do something <laughs> that seems yeah. completely different. Um, I don't think that I'm having this big helpful impact in the world. So, so you're helping companies, regardless of what it is that they do, figure out, you know, it might not be feeding children, but there, there has to be something that somehow ties to your business. Absolutely. And there's a process. I mean, again, it's been 15 years, but identify that process for doing the deep dive into who they are as a company and what the value is of what they're doing or what they're producing or what service they're providing um, and helping connect the dots to Mm -hmm. a really relevant social issue. Um, And it is amazing because you're absolutely right, Elizabeth. So many companies go, oh, we don't don't have anything that that would be really meaningful. Yes, you do. (laughs) Yes, you do. And that's why you reach out to Peggy Pelosi. (laughs) All right. Um, We've touched on this, but I want to really get into this because um, I think it it can be confusing for people. What is the difference between philanthropy and purpose? And why is it that philanthropy isn't as effective as being aligned with that social purpose? And that is another great question, Elizabeth. Um, Philanthropy, and it's been, as I said, it's been around since you know, the beginning, since the Industrial Revolution, especially corporate philanthropy, has, mm-hmm. it has been a transaction. It mm-hmm. has been an opportunity for people that have the means to provide funding to an organization that they have some connection to or some belief in. It has always been very transactional. Um, mm-hmm. It hasn't been a follow the dots and, and let's get involved and get and participate in this cause or this social issue that the money is going to, it, money is going to. Um, but philanthropy is a good thing. It's not a bad thing. I mean, even mm-hmm. think about like in the early days, it would be Andrew Carnegie writing a check to, you know, to, to fund uh, something or put his name on a building. Today, mm-hmm. philanthropists like Bill and Melinda Gates, there are people that have the means and they're, and they're, they're, t- they're identifying social issues that they want their their money to help support, but they're also then involving their time and talent, mm-hmm. moving the needle on that social issue. So philanthropy is not a bad thing, but it just, it hasn't engaged the hearts and minds of, of people, particularly when it comes to corporate philanthropy. It's the check writing exercise. It's a transaction. Social purpose, on the other hand, it can be very transformational. Transformational for one, the social issue, that you are addressing to the company because you're, you're, you're attaching yourself to this social issue and from a reputational equity perspective, done well, this is very good for a company, whether it's B2B company or a B2C company, doesn't matter. It's also transformational for the people that participate in it. Um, it's about standing for a social issue that's aligned with the company's business objectives and embedded into the corporate culture. It becomes part of the business DNA. It can be part of a collaborative effort to move the dial on a social issue. It can be partnering with other companies or government or academia to work on a social issue. But one of the things that's so, you know, the the reasons that, that 
in hindsight, so many people are starting to realize how important and critical this is, is that over decades, billions of dollars have been donated to charities and NGOs to solve Mm -hmm. social issues. Billions of dollars to millions of charities and NGOs to solve social issues. And yet in most of those social issues, the dial has not moved. Mm-hmm. And so the, the, by, by looking at it more as a sense of purpose, there's more of a long term. We are going to set some objectives and move towards those objectives. Mm-hmm. If we're not getting there, like anything else a company would do, it wouldn't keep putting money into something that it wasn't seeing a return on. So from a corporate you know, social purpose perspective, if we're going to wrap our arms around a social issue and say, let's get involved, let's involve our time and our talent and our resources and have some long-term goals to say, this is the difference we want to make in the world. Um, If it's not happening, we will, you know, stop and we'll find something else that makes sense. But that that hasn't happened in the world of philanthropy. For a long time, mm. it's really some. There's some accountability, and there's much more opportunity to uh, turn that dial and have success on problems. I love that, and there are a couple of things in there that I want to hone in on. Okay. So I'm going to actually step back to something you mentioned a few minutes ago because as soon as you said it, it just opened my eyes when you mentioned Bill and Melinda Gates. And if you think about it, this is at an individual level as opposed to at a company level, but I think the analogy kind of goes. It, it holds. I heard an interview with Bill Gates on a podcast. I think it was the Ezra Klein podcast. Yeah. Um, and the the sheer amount of knowledge he has about um, medical issues yeah. and um, health impacts of various um, interventions in third world countries is ridiculous. Like he, he sounds like a doctor when he talks about that. And it's because instead of just saying, I'm going to throw money at this, he developed a passion for what it is that he's doing. He views what he's doing as changing the world, and he really is. And so he he got connected to it. And I have a sister who works in um, in research for an AIDS vaccine, and they got a lot of funding from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. And you have to, like you said, that accountability, you have to do a lot of work to demonstrate progress. And they were experiencing um, some difficulty with one of their um, initiatives. And they were really concerned about potentially losing that funding because, you know, one thing that business people tend to learn is you don't throw good money after bad. And certainly science is not, you know, uh, it's not a conveyor belt. It's not easy. Sometimes you do a lot of work and then something doesn't work out and that's okay. You learned something. But um, it's really interesting to see some of these um, some of these principles applied in a different context because um, it, it's just amazing the impact you can have. But I really strongly believe if he hadn't taken that deep dive into the actual result of the work it is that the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation is doing, likely he would not be investing nearly as much money. And I don't think they would have had the the impact that they have. But because he cares about it so much, it really just adds um, so much focus. You know, what they've done in terms of um, mosquito nets and malaria and just all these things, just little things, um, you know, what seems small uh, has had a huge impact in the world. Absolutely. And their their philanthropy is their purpose. Like Mm -hmm. people have identified their own sense of purpose and they're partnering with the right people around the world to help, you know, implement 
what it is that they believe is possible. So uh, it's a, that's a great example. Absolutely. And just what you were talking about in terms of, you know, the way that it transforms the reputation of the company. I wanted to hone in on this because I think some people might hear that and be like, oh, I see what this is for. This is just, you know, to make you look good. And you're going to have a company that got into some trouble and they're going to say they've got a purpose and throw some money at something and clean things up. And I really believe um, based on everything that you've said, if there is a company that has reputational challenges and they really take this on and take it seriously, they're going to have to change as a company and they're going to have to start to focus on making a positive impact in the world. And so, yes, they might even almost start doing this from a little bit of a transactional desire to kind of clean things up. But if they if they really get into it, it's going to actually change their business. Absolutely. And um, as I said, that, that increasing pressure from stakeholders, they don't really have a choice now. Mm-hmm. They, I mean, they're not going to attract and retain great talent if they if they aren't doing something. They're not going to attract and retain customers if they are behaving in an unethical way. So it's it's about more than just doing no harm. It's about actually showing that yes, you care about this larger stakeholder group um, that we've been talking about. So yes, you're absolutely right. It's uh, everybody's everybody has to. Um, look at it both from an environmental and a social perspective. Absolutely. Um, When you said that, I was just thinking of the number of different things that I buy where I'm paying a little bit more because it's doing good in the world. Like I love these socks and for every pair of socks they sell, they donate a pair of socks to the homeless. So you pay a little bit more than you would pay for a normal pair of socks, but they're really good socks. And also homeless people are getting socks, which they desperately need. And you think of even, you know, Tom's shoes and and all these different um, companies and what they're doing in the world is just so obvious and how good it feels as a consumer to buy from them. And then you think about if you worked for that company, just think about working for a sock company that just makes socks versus working for a sock company that every pair of socks you sell, you also donate a pair of socks to the homeless. And I bet it would be a lot more fun and exciting going to work at that, at that company. Absolutely. And there's all kinds of research and data and evidence that shows that, you know, that people will pay a little bit more for a, com- for, for a product that they know is making a difference, that is doing something mm-hmm. well. And again, it's not just from a cause marketing perspective. It's not just mm-hmm. about, you know, splashing something on the label of a product or running an ad that says something. If it is not uh, authentically woven into that DNA of that company, it is transparent it's, you know, it's greenwashing or whitewashing or whatever you want to call it. And, and, it be, and, and people see through it very quickly. Absolutely. So when it is authentic to who the company is and uh, what they want to stand for. And that's the change. That's what's changing is businesses are starting to realize that. Absolutely. I'm glad you called that out because I do think that's something that as consumers, we've now become rather suspicious. And I think sometimes that's a bad thing, but mostly it's probably a good thing. And so if you notice that a company is saying something, um, you know, they say they do this good thing in the world, most people are going to Google or they're going to, you know, look up some some information about that and they're going to see how valid it seems. And we've all seen so many companies trying to, you know, shine up what they're doing that we, we take things with a little bit of a grain of salt right. and people are a lot better 
at detecting BS than uh, most of us <laughs> maybe think that they are. And so um, you've got that accountability, kind of whether you want it or not, yeah. it's going to come. Yeah, the access to information is there. It didn't used to Absolutely. be, but now anybody yeah. can find out anything they want to find out about the company. Definitely. Now, I I feel like obviously we can't stop our conversation without touching on the biggest thing that's impacted the world over the last, you know, few years, probably the last in my lifetime, which is the COVID pandemic, um, the economic fallout, the the way that it's impacting people in, in their jobs, in their lives, in their homes. It's, it's just so immense. Um, how have you seen that that's impacted the conversation around a social purpose or the need for a company to have and, um, and express their social purpose? Oh, and that is also such a great question, because it is quite profound, actually, Mm -hmm. what has happened during this last six months of COVID, and the increased awareness and the increased uh, interest in business to say, okay, yes, we have got to make some changes in how we think and how we act. Um, And I actually believe, and in fact, I just wrote a blog on the Innovators Alliance um, website about... um, so the silver, the silver linings, like seeing opportunity and crisis. Um, and mm-hmm. we believe there have been some silver linings from COVID. And I do not, you know, I'm not saying that flippantly. I know how, how you know, how devastating it has been for so many mm-hmm. people. Um, and yet, you know, I, I am sort of a glass half full kind of gal. And so I'm looking at, okay, what are some of the good things that have come out of it? And one of those things related to your question, Elizabeth, is that as people have gone home, whether they're working mm-hmm. or they're not working, they have had an increased bandwidth for paying attention mm-hmm. to what's going on around them. And just mm-hmm. the, whole, the whole, I mean, it sort of started with uh, the whole idea of health and safety and how did their company feel about health and safety and what were their expectations around their safety in the workplace. And and from a health perspective, the mental health uh, issue Mm -hmm. related to, I mean, just in compounding what all the stress that people are already feeling. But now with this new sort of just complete disruption in um, our life and work. Mm -hmm. So that became a big issue. But then also during this time, um, we saw this rise of and the importance of social justice and mm-hmm. equality and diversity and belonging. And, you know, it just happened that all of this happened, you know, with, you know, the catalyst during COVID with George Floyd's killing and the uprising that came again, people at the bandwidth, they could participate. And so that drove an awareness at the business level that we cannot ignore this anymore. So, mm-hmm. and again, there's all kinds of research that has come out just in the last few months about this. There's one, um, and I'll, I'll mention this to you, it's called the Porter Novelli Purpose Tracker. It's a really, it, there's some really great data that's come out recently, like within the last couple of weeks from them, mm-hmm. that what's risen to the top as a result of COVID when it comes to purpose and businesses is health mm-hmm. and safety, is social justice, and is diversity, equality, and belonging. And again, with the research that they've done, and they're, they're just one of the organizations that does this kind of research, 
uh, they published this last week, 93% of employees believe now more than ever that companies must lead with purpose. And 95% say business must benefit all stakeholders, not just shareholders. Another thing is that working for a company with a strong purpose is more important to employees now than ever before. 88% of employees surveyed said that working for a company with a strong purpose is, is important or very important to them. And 68% of them say that the coronavirus pandemic has made employees care more about how their company acts. So it has driven this idea of purpose with very specific social issues, uh, but it's really been a driver. Absolutely. I love that you kind of went through over time how that's shifted because that really rings true. And I I can think about, you know, at at the very beginning of this pandemic, um, people were looking at their employers. Again, whether this was a situation where they could work from home or whether this was a situation where they were going to be furloughed or, or lose work because of this. And we were all judging the companies that were forcing people to come to work um, when it was clear that they could do their jobs from home. Right. And we were all judging the companies who were making employees come to work um, at jobs that can't be done remotely and weren't Take, giving them proper PPE right. and weren't, um, you know, maybe paying people more or giving them some sort of, you know, basically hazard pay. If you work in a grocery store, your job is a lot more dangerous than it ever has been before. And there, there has been significant attention on just at first that that kind of health um, aspect. Uh, and then, like you said, it, it went in, it, people were started to think about and focus on, okay, what about mental health? And what about even like families? How are we going to take care of people? If you're trying to work from home and you've got, you know, a couple maybe that's trying to both work from home and you've got multiple kids who are trying to get, um, you know, follow through on their education from home, how is that going to work from a technology side, from a time and focus side? Um and, and people started to think about that. And then I have been to Black Lives Matter protests before this all happened. And I've been to Black Lives Matter protests after this happened. And I have never seen as many fellow white people yeah. <laughs> at the Black Lives Matter protests since this all happened. And like you said, people had more time yeah. maybe to look at what's happening in the world and um, just kind of realize that all of these things are related. You know, you look at people um, in jobs who haven't been treated well. And they're typically black and brown people. And you look at um, people who are dying at at significantly higher rates of COVID. um, And this is true in the U.S. as well as in a lot of other countries. And it's people of color. And it's hard to not pay attention then when people say we don't really have equality and um, people are really struggling and you want to be a part of the solution. And so um, I'm like you. I like to, where possible be optimistic and find a silver lining. And it has been really exciting to say, to see the way that people have um, just had their eyes opened to, to what's maybe been going on for a very long time, but it's really easy not to pay attention to that when your head's down and you're just going to work and coming home and spending a lot of time commuting. um, And you don't have that anymore. Yeah, no, it, it really has impacted um, this world that I find myself in for sure. Well, the entire world. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's it's a good thing to be able to think about those positives because it's a it's a really stressful and difficult time for all of us. And so if you can connect to a purpose, it just even gives you energy. And um, we can all use that right now. Yeah. I know um, I am very sick of being in the same like three rooms for the past five and a half months, but <laughs> I will do it. 
Yeah. And, and have waking up with that sense of purpose really does make a difference. You're absolutely right. Good. Good for all of us. All right. I have so loved this conversation, Peggy, and I'm really excited to um, to think about how I can follow up on it, um, both that criteria for success and how this can spark conversations yeah. with my clients. Um, but a conversation that I always like to have as we wind down the, the show is, what are some books that you would recommend? They could be either very specifically related to what it is that we've been talking about or on a completely different topic if you've got something that um, that you feel has been really impactful that you wanted to share. Oh, well, in fact, I just, I'm just in the process of reading a brand new book. It's right here, um, which uh, there's, and there's a lot written. And, you know, it's so interesting. When I started doing this work back in 2005, I was looking for books around mm-hmm. the subject. And yeah, there, there were, I think there were two. They, they came out of the UK <laughs> and they held up as the most corporate, socially responsible business, the company BP Oil. <laughs> <laughs> Now, it's now wow. 15 years, and there are thousands of books on this. But this new one that I just got, um, and I was on a webinar where the authors were speaking, is fantastic. It's called The Corporate Social Mind, How Companies Lead Social Change from the Inside Out. And it's by mm. uh, Derek Feldman and Michael Alberg Sieberich. Um, so that's, that's a great one. I, you know, in the teaching that I've done for the last I don't know, seven years, I think I have used a book, uh, for the textbook called conscious capitalism and mm. written by John Mackey, who is the founder of whole foods and Raj Sisodia. And it's been, it, it was my great introduction into really understanding capitalism and how this has all shifted. But, you know, and beyond books, actually, there's a couple of good newsletters that that Mm. I subscribe to. One is called Prove Your Purpose. And that is that Porter Novelli that I said does the uh, purpose tracker. Uh, They have great, they do so cool, tell great stories about what companies are doing. So some good case studies in there. There's also a wire service called CSR Wire, Corporate Social Responsibility Wire. They also talk Mm -hmm. about what, what companies are doing. There are a couple of podcasts on this too. Um, there's the Cause Talk Radio podcast that's done by Engage for Good, and mm-hmm. Pod for the Cause, and that's done by the Leadership Conference on Civil and Human Rights. So whether you like to read books, or read online newsletters, or listen to podcasts, there's something there. Um, you know, and it's just, it's an ever, it's an, it's a never ending flow of stories and information and evolution. Mm-hmm. This is just an evolving world and it's getting very exciting. Absolutely. I love that. And I love that story of how there, there weren't any books on this 15 years ago, or we're just a couple and how different it is now. It's, it's really exciting when you can see an important idea like this take hold and be um, translated and, um, and viewed through the eyes of different people with different perspectives and really seeing the different ways they approach it is really fun. And I'm a strong believer. Everybody learns in different ways and we all like to engage content in different ways. So I really appreciate that you gave different, um, different ways people can, can learn about this. It's been very interesting to me to see, especially during this pandemic and work from home era, the return of email newsletters. It was just starting to happen outside of this, but oh my goodness, everybody and their mother has a newsletter at this point. That's for sure. All right. If you want people to learn more about you and your work, Peggy, where where should they go? Oh, well, thank you for that. 
Um, there, if go to the website. It's Orenda Social Purpose. So that's O-R-E-N-D-A, then the socialpurpose.com. Mm-hmm. Um, and or they could just, you know, connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, it's Peggy, P-E-G-G-I-E, uh, Pelosi, P-E-L-O-S-I. Um, and just if you, if you do reach out on LinkedIn, just let me know you, you um, connect, you're connecting with me from this podcast, Let's Talk Sales. So I will be sure to respond uh, quickly. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, no, those two, were, that, that's really great. Thank you, Elizabeth, for that opportunity. I'm um, you know, really passionate about the work. It's, it's certainly a, a growing field. Um, and I'm, um, I just look forward to helping lots of businesses figure this out. Absolutely. It's exciting that you were on the leading edge of this <laughs> and have really um, you know, led the conversation. Throughout. So thank you so, so much for being with me uh, today, Peggy. I've really appreciated this conversation. My pleasure, Elizabeth. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning into today's show. You can find the notes and resources for everything that Peggy and I have been talking about today at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod 288. We'll include the links to her website, the LinkedIn, and all of the different books and resources that she shared. Make sure to tune in on Friday for another inspirational episode. And don't forget to check out the blog at criteriaforsuccess.com insights. If you enjoyed the show today, please recommend this to a friend. That is the best way for more people to discover the show. And if you haven't subscribed, make sure to do that. That way you'll hear every new episode as soon as it goes live. You can subscribe for free wherever it is that you happen to be listening today. We love feedback, and that is the best way that we can grow and learn. So you can leave us ratings or reviews in Apple Podcasts, or email us with direct feedback, questions, and guest suggestions at podcast at criteriaforsuccess.com. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at CFS Playbook. Let's Talk Sales is a production of Criteria for Success. Happy selling! <laughs>